You're listening to a DM podcast. Not too long ago, my sister's boyfriend was having some thoughts about other pets he might want to have. Mm-hmm. He even suggested an octopus. But <laughs> I quickly jumped in and said to him, that would be ill-advised <laughs> because octopuses are intelligent escape artists. Mm-hmm. And no matter how escape-proof you try to make 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 its enclosure, it'll find a way to, to escape anyway. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a new episode of Mr. A+. Hope everyone is doing well. Today, I have a very interesting woman joining me today. She is a woman of science. Wildlife science, that is. She is also a science communicator and a woman of STEAM, which stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Mathematics. I strongly believe that she and I are like two peas in a pod, Well, almost. I'm very proud to have another woman of science on this podcast, as this episode should be interesting. Now, let's all give a warm welcome to one of the most brilliant women known to man, Dr. Vanessa Pirotta. Oh my goodness, you are so kind, and it is my pleasure, and I'm so thrilled to be here with you. I'm so thrilled that you agreed to come on. Oh, why wouldn't I come on? This is a great opportunity for us to talk animals. Exactly. We can talk about all animals around the world. I do have at least eight questions, but my first question is, how are you doing and your family? Very well, thank you. Yes, it's uh, winter time at the moment, so everyone's nice and fresh and making sure they don't have coughs and colds. And it's also the time where we have whales around. So this is a very exciting time where you can do your work and then you can go and see whales. So it's a great time for everyone who's happy for the, the winter months ahead. Yes, of course. But personally, I'm not really a fan of winter myself. Oh, it is cold. But that means the whales yeah. are here. So there's there's one good benefit from it. Oh, yes. I can certainly agree with that. What do you most enjoy about the field of wildlife science? So I would say wildlife science, and it's a general term that I use for myself as a scientist. And one of the things I enjoy most about it is I'm able to focus on a, a variety of different animals to study. So as a scientist, I use emerging technology to learn more about conserving animals like whales. But my skills working on whales are sometimes called in to help other animals on land like lizards, reptiles and snakes and birds, you name it, all these amazing things. So it allows me as a scientist to study and to learn about these creatures and to share this knowledge with the world and most of all to help save these animals. Amen. Because unfortunately some people don't really care enough about the conservation of animals. Mm, yes, there. Yes, so it's very important that we discuss how important animals are to the everyday life. So, yes. for example, the food that you might have had for breakfast, there's been a number of different animals that help that food get to you, like bees, yeah. cows, um, and then your Christmas dinner or lunch, you might enjoy seafood. I don't know if you eat seafood. I do, I well, do, There yeah. you go. So whales would be very helpful to you in that respect because yep. – by eating in one area and whales pooing in another, their poo is able yeah. to feed the the food that the, the your seafood might eat. So there's all these things that are interconnected in the wildlife world. Isn't that interesting? Any opportunity we have to connect with animals, and for me when I was little, I really loved anything about animals like um, – the toys that you could collect, Yowie Powers is one of my favourite things, Kinder Surprises, <laughs> you were very excited. 
because a lot of these things were little toys, but you could you could get your favorite animal. I once got a dolphin, which was the closest marine mammal I got in one of those. You're very excited right now because I believe you love animals as well, but you also, you're a yaoi lover as well. Yes, of course. My mother used to get them for me every week as a kid. There we go. See? And with the current ones, I actually have all of them. You do? Yeah. Well, you've got way more than me. That's awesome. And once my sister bought me a whole pack of the yaoi's, you know, the things that they would sell in the supermarket? Yep. You could get those online. And it yes. was just a field day. I got so I wasn't eat, even eating the chocolate. It was all about the animals. So yes. if that was an opportunity for me and you to connect to animals, then you know that's a great thing. Oh yes, because that I actually had no idea that that you were a lover of yaois, but I kind of should have seen that coming. <laughs> there we go. Well, yeah, anything animals. I love animals for a number of reasons. What is your favorite animal? I have several favorites. Oh, cool. There's lions. Yep. Tigers. Yes. All members of the cat family, Ooh. a lot of the Australian wildlife, mm-hmm. and several of the African and South American wildlife. Oh, I've been fortunate to go to South America and see a lot of the wildlife there, like um, the squirrel monkeys. And I've worked with cheetahs and lions and tigers as well, which is pretty amazing. So there's all these things that I've had connections with animals, and we could chat all day about this. Yeah, of course. I've, my next question is, how much knowledge of zoology do you have in that brilliant mind of yours? What's your favourite lesser-known fact about an animal? Ooh, so when I was in, un- I did, I went to undergrad university, so I did a Bachelor of Science at the Australian National University, and as part of that, I studied zoology. And so we learnt a lot of different things, but my goodness, that's opening up a very very big can of worms. There are so many wonderful things about animals that I absolutely love. But if I was to pick one fact, uh, I really like the fact that we have to go to whales. Some whales are capable of holding their breath for over an hour and they can dive to the deepest parts of the ocean. So that's pretty cool. You mean as deep as where the Titanic is? Oh, well, that's potentially. Yes. So we're talking, I think the Titanic, I have to refresh my mind. It's four kilometres deep. I'm not too sure. But they can go down very deep, so where it goes dark. For example, the giants, uh, giant squid, they like to live where it's dark underneath the ocean. You go down and it's very hard to see. And so one of the animals that dives down to eat these is sperm whales. Wow. Now, sperm whales are those the largest toothed whale and they have that box-shaped head. It's very cool and it's got this kind of fluid in it called spermaceti. And that oh, yeah. acts like a dive weight, so it allows the whale to go down and it hardens as it gets cold down there. And one of the yeah. ways they're able to find giant squid is by using sound. Ooh. So they go. And if this is known as echolocation, this is biological sonar. And this allows them to send out sound waves. And then if something's around, it'll vibrate back from them. And nice. it can go very fast. I can't <laughs> imitate it so fast. And then they're able mm. to make their kill and then come all the way back. In fact, when I was in Antarctica, I saw a sperm whale taking a breath at the surface and then it went down. It wow. dove down and I waited 45 minutes watching that same spot and it popped back up at the same spot after 45 minutes. Wow. So it must have gone down, did a dive and then came back up again. So there you go. Oh, yes. So that's kind of a fact. Obviously, I'm biased because I like whales. Well, who could blame you? 
Whales are one of the most purest animals in the world. Mm, they really are. And not to mention the sounds and calls they make. Ooh, they make a lot of sounds. Some, like the dwarf minke whale, they make this Star Wars sound. I'll make it for you. Ready? It kind of goes... Like that, honestly. And then the humpback whale, well, they're really cool. They make a variety of sounds. Sometimes they make the creaking door, which sounds like this, like a... And then sometimes they sound like um, an elephant or a disco elephant, a disco whale, like... Yeah, so there's a variety of different sounds they make. Sorry, I've probably just come in and just made all these whale sounds. Should I just leave now? It's too much to process. I also have some some fun facts to share about animals myself. Good, good, good. I once told this to my brother recently, but he but he tried to prove me wrong. In lion prides, mm-hmm. the male lion is actually the one that looks after the pride while the lionesses do the hunting because they have because they're far more agile than the male lions because they have stockier builds and they're heavier as well. Well, that is a very good fact. So in the lion world, it makes sense that the females are the ones that are doing the hunting, whereas yeah. in the, the, the males, they spend a lot of investment on reproducing, so making sure they have their genes ready yeah. for the next generation. So the females, mm. they have to do it all. They have to make sure that they hunt, look after their young are pregnant, breastfeed, all of these amazing things, whereas yeah. the males, well, yeah, they take advantage of all the work that the females do. So, But it's up to them to make sure that they have their genes all ready to go for the next generation and to reproduce. Of course. Mm. So that's a really cool fact. And despite being cats, they're social creatures. And, and did you know that lions, well, I've been very fortunate to have worked with lions and they're very affectionate. They can be very affectionate and they know they're... They know people that work with them and they can, just like a, a domestic cat, they can come up and they, they you know, want to rub their, their cheek next to you and, yes, yeah, so they're very sweet. They've all got personalities. And tigers, on the other hand, they're solitary. They can be. And they usually hunt alone. Ooh. So tigers are also a, a, what we'd refer to as a big cat. And there are some tigers that unfortunately are not doing very well. They have a lot of threats in the environment. I know. But aren't there there any efforts going on to preserve them? Absolutely. So there are, which is a good thing. Thank God. So one of the main threats for certain tiger species, and I'm not a tiger expert, but I do know this from my zoo days, is that a, a lot of people want to try and conserve their habitat, so the environment or their homes that they live in. So it's important that they have these areas so that they can exist and they can breed and live healthy, normal lives. But unfortunately, in some places, deforestation, habitat destruction is bad news for them. And also not to mention illegal logging. That's right. So that kind of thing. So this is a nice reminder for your listeners right now to go, oh, we need to think about a lot of animals in the world when we conserve. And there are a lot of variety of ways that we can go forward with preserving them. Yeah, I know. But also, to be honest... That's one of the things I really hate about us as people. Mm. These poor animals lose their habitats and their natural food sources because humans clear it all away to make room for human settlements and farming, which disgusts me immensely. It is. It's one of one of the things as a scientist that I do is we try to manage 
both human needs and animal needs. Obviously, as a scientist and, and a wildlife lover like you, my main priority is to ensure that we do the best that we can as humans to help out animals. Yeah. And so when we look at a situation, we go, okay, so this is – today we're learning about the tigers of this certain location. We d- we're just pretending right now. Yeah. What do we know about them? What information do we have about them? How many do we know that there are in this area? These are all the questions as scientists we want to ask. And then what are the types of threats that these animals are facing and why? And so working with the people who might be destroying their habitat or threatening their habitat is something that we'd want to try and understand so we can work together to try and manage the situation a little bit better. Yeah, of course. I also got a little story that I should tell you. Not too long ago, my sister's boyfriend was having some thoughts about other pets he might want to have. Mm-hmm. He even suggested an octopus. But <laughs> I quickly jumped in and said to him, that would be ill-advised <laughs> because octopuses are intelligent escape artists. Mm-hmm. And no matter how escape-proof you try to make 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 its enclosure, it will find a way to, to escape anyway. Oh, my goodness. My next-door neighbour, his friend had an octopus. This is in Canberra. Um, I don't know if the octopus was in Canberra, but he said he remembers holding this octopus in his arms and it was like a baby with the tentacles touching his face. But that <laughs> octopus would escape. So, yes, you're very right. They're very intelligent. And, you know, these animals, to, to be able to undo screws and, and bottles, just how – that's amazing. And have you seen Finding Dory? Yes. Oh, do you like that movie? I did, yeah. Yeah, well, there was a whole octopus in there, right? Was it Hank? Yep. Yeah, so that's a great character for them to have used in the movie because they can change shapes, they can move, they're agile. And they can also camouflage as well. (laughs) Yes. In fact, Hank was was acting like a normal octopus. Yes, and then he'd turn into a fern, right? Yep. But how is it – it's great we have these movies to relate to because they're not only entertaining but now we're talking about it. And if this is something that your listeners can go, oh, I've seen that. Yeah, I know that. Yep. Even have you seen Finding Nemo? Yes, I have. So as they come down the East Australian current, you know that's actually a thing? It is? Yes. So right now the humpback whales, Yeah. they've spent the summer in Antarctica feeding. Yeah. And now they're migrating north to Queensland waters to breed, to have their babies. Wow. And I'm actually at the same time, I've, I've very excitedly bought my, my book in for you, The Voyage of Whale and Calf, and it talks about the whale migration. So, and at the back, there's lots of whale facts. So, this is for you to have and to learn about every year. But when they nice. return, you're very welcome. When they return, they come al- along a current known as the EAC or East Australian Current. Uh, yeah. And this is what Marlon, Nemo's <coughs> dad, and Dory yep. come down to Sydney in. Oh, yes. You know, I remember. Turn. And the turtles are there. Yep. And then they see the whale. And then when they, the whale actually captures some krill and they're stuck in the whale. Yep. And then the whale blows them out of their nostrils. Yes. And then they're out. I remember. But did you know, a bit of a fact, if you were to be swallowed by a whale, which we can't as humans because, well, they're physically we can't fit down their, their throat. No. One of the ways that you'd get out of a whale is by being pooed out. Ah, uh, yes. So <laughs> there's only one way out and it's not pretty. So I just thought I'd share with that uh, little yes. fact with you. Thanks. <laughs> I also got another fact for you. Ooh, ooh. Great white sharks don't normally um, prefer humans as, as a prey because we're too bony. But they very much prefer seals because they have more protein and more blubber. So white sharks are great white sharks. They're really important for our environment because they eat certain species in the environment and it keeps certain prey or fish at, at a very good level. 
they also act as vacuum cleaners of the ocean. Mm. So if there's a dead whale, they come up to the whale and they'll eat the dead whale and they break it down like a vacuum cleaner. There's also a study which shows juvenile great white sharks around New South Wales waters. They like to eat at the bottom or near the seabed on salmon. So people think that, you know, these animals are out to get people, but they're not. These white sharks live in the environment, do their thing, and they can eat a variety of of things. And and dolphins were part of their diet as well. Really interesting. Yep. I also noticed some things about about animals. Animals have much more simple lives than humans. Do they? We we think they might, but maybe they don't. Well, they only they don't really need a purpose. All they have is just one one objective in life: do what they can to survive. Well, that's right. So some have, uh, I would say, you know, you've heard of flight uh, the the animals that are very flight response so they like a horse they're very jittery yeah. and they're designed or at least their biology is to 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 avoid predators whereas some animals were with like lions we go back to the lions they're at they're those animals that are known to prey on others yes so they're all adapted for different things and of course the way they look the way they appear is all very environmentally but my father once told me that the predators um only hunt other animals when they're hunting for food but if they're not hunting for food they leave them alone oh yeah well this is another thing that we could talk about right now that's timely is the killer whales off iberian coast is this something you were going to talk about yeah i was actually going to ask you um, what are your thoughts on the recent reports on orcas attacking boats in the atlantic ocean um is and this isn't the first time that orcas have behaved strangely is it well, these orcas are definitely doing interesting things and I've been talking to researchers who are there in the field and learning more about the killer whale behaviour. So I would say that, first of all, scientists don't know why it's happening. So if your listeners don't know, these killer whales are going up to boats, mostly sailboats that have a rudder. The rudder is that piece of equipment at the bottom that steers the boat. Oh, yes. It goes one way, you know, you go that way and the other way, uh-huh. that way. And the killer whales are somehow attacking, or not attacking, but rather biting the rudders and in some cases taking them off. And from talking with researchers who were there in the field, they've shown that the animals, once they do this, they then leave. There's not too much. They've done what they've had to do and then they go. Mm. Now, the thing is they think that one individual called White Gladys may be taking revenge or at least going up to boats and showing others that the boats are either A, a toy, or then something that they don't like. And then as a result, they get the rudder and then they take it off and then it seems the boat seems disinteresting, so not interesting at all. But we don't know why why this is happening, but it, the, every day it grows stronger for the scientists there that it's most likely an individual that had a negative interaction with the boat. Ooh. And, yes, orcas doing interesting things, so that's just one population or group of orcas. There are orcas and killer whales all around the world and they do different things. And some killer whales in the Northern Hemisphere at one time, they would catch on, they would bite salmon, kill salmon and then wear them on their heads and wear salmon hats. But that was only observed for one summer. So, yeah, killer whales can do different things. And in this case, a lot of people are talking about these few killer whales that are going up to boats and interacting with them. Mm. I also have to admit that orcas aren't exactly whales. They're the largest 
members of the dolphin family. Yes, you clever man. Very true. So these animals, are they can be really big. They can get up to eight metres or so. And they, did you know, that here's a really cool fact about killer whales. What's that? Well, you know how they're dark on top? Yes. And then light on the bottom. White, you mean? Yeah, yeah, white. That's yeah. right. You might have seen other animals look similar, like the humpback whale. They're dark on bottom, on the bottom, and light underneath. Sharks. This is known yeah. as counter shading. Hmm. So if you're looking down at a killer whale, they would be nice and dark, and they'd blend in with the ocean, depending on where they're at. Yeah. And if you're a predator looking from underneath a killer whale. Their body is nice and light underneath, so it blends with the sky. So this is kind of well, one of the theories around this. It might be a good option or a, a way of trying to not be preyed upon by other animals and blending into the environment. Double camouflage. Yeah, you could say that. So there you go. There's another little fact. Wonderful. Were there any particular moments from your early life that perhaps inspired you to decide you wanted to become a woman of science? Ooh. Well, I never thought I'd... Get, uh, go to university and do a PhD. I never thought that at all. I never thought, uh, but I knew because I grew up on a farm. So I was very lucky and I had a lot of pets when I was growing up. <sighs> I know, I know I had sheep. We often have baby sheep in our kitchen that we'd have to feed with a bottle. Lambs. Yeah, little lamb. That's right. Little, Lots of little lambs. <laughs> there were deer. So we had deer, ferrets. We love ferrets. They're, they're very cool. Dogs, we always had a blue healer, always had bl- bluey. You know, we love bluey. And chickens, that kind of thing. And I had a pet cow. I've spoken about my pet cow often, Zach. He was very cute. So I always had lots of animals, but I always, as a young girl, loved whales and dolphins. Wow. And so I always wanted to be a dolphin trainer because of the movie Free Willy. And I actually did become a dolphin trainer. I worked with sea lions and dolphins. And they're incredibly amazing animals. They really are very intelligent. And much of the training that we would do with these animals is very much how you train your own family dog. Wow. Mm-hmm. I wish I knew what that felt like. Maybe one day you might get a dog. Would it be a dog you'd want? I'm actually more of a cat person. <gasps> oh, you like cats? Well, there you go. And what kind of cat would you get? Not a hairless one. <laughs> But in terms of breeds, I honestly have no idea. Oh, well, there you go. Well, uh, I'm not really a cat person, but I do like cats. But the ones that I do really like are cats that act like dogs, kind of like Burmese cats. I know that they're <sighs> quite cool. Oh, yeah. And some cats like to be walked. Yep. They're, they're very interesting, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Maybe one day you'll get a pet. But with a pet comes a lot of responsibility. Yeah. You need to make sure that they're fed. They're watered, they're poo. Mm. And if you go away, you have to make sure someone's looking after them. Yeah, true fact. All these things for you to consider. Yeah. Even though I'm a huge animal lover, I do also happen to have a strong love of meat, which is kind of a guilty pleasure. That's okay. Especially beef. Yes, that does go through my mind. I am not a vegetarian. I primarily eat vegetarian, though, because I, I don't, I'm not a meat lover. But it is very important to know, especially, for example, you enjoy seafood. Yeah. There are certain things that one can do to ensure that when they eat things, they can make a less minimal impact on the environment. So, for example, if you're to eat fish, one of the questions that you could ask yourself is, okay, so today I'm going to have a seafood meal. 
where is this fish coming from that I'm about to choose and has it been sustainably captured? So do you understand the idea behind that? Ah, yes. So to make sure that the animals or the fish that is being harvested is able to be harvested so it doesn't impact the entire population or threaten the existence of that species. Yeah. So people from all around the world can then continue to acquire resources from that area without it becoming depleted. And in the case of meat, well, some of the things you could do is you could maybe, if you continue to eat meat, think about how much meat you eat during the week and where is this meat sourced from. So there's big questions. And as a wildlife scientist, that's outside of my scope of knowledge. But it's something that I think about as well, especially as an animal lover. Of course. There are other alternatives as well, like going vegetarian. Well, I don't think I could ever become vegetarian because my father even once said that if you cut meat from your diet, you would have to take iron supplements. I don't think they would give you the iron as well as meat would. Well, maybe your next podcast would be with a dietitian or someone who could tell you a lot about the the way of if you were to go switching to a vegetarian diet versus uh, having a meat diet. There's all these amazing – and this is, comes down to science as well. Yes. But I don't think I'd, I could ever go vegan. Well, so so you you like your milk? I, I, I well, enjoy milk. I am a deep lover of cheese. Oh, cheese, yes. Especially – especially the smelly ones from Europe. <laughs> so you have quite fine taste, I would say, which is good. Yeah. Yes, I do enjoy cheese as well. In what ways does your work co- contribute to animal conservation? Really, really good question. So as a wildlife scientist, we cannot study every single animal out there, but I'll give you two key examples. So my research on humpback whales in particular is is essentially looking at ways that we can collect biological information from these whales without having to hurt them, which is a good thing. Because in the past, people would have to kill whales to learn more about them, or people would hunt them to eat them. Fortunately, that has been reduced. So one of the ways that um, my team and I, we continue to develop tools to ask more questions about their health. So you might be familiar with the drones collecting whale snot or whale lung bacteria. That's one example. From that, we've now gone on to doing other things with our drones, which is under development, which is very exciting. Mm. So that's just one example of how technology is being used to learn more about whales. So that's like taking a PCR sample of their nostrils without them even knowing. And then the other example of research I'm leading right now is trying to save animals that are being illegally trafficked. So unfortunately, some people around the world want to smuggle Australian wildlife in their bags, in the mail, and then sell them overseas. And then people want to do that by bringing exotic animals into Australia. So you know the shingleback lizard? Do you know those? No. They're the ones where their head looks like their bum. These lizards are really cool. I'll have to show you a photo. So it's, it, it's a strategy. So if their bum looks like their head and a predator comes and bites onto their bum because they think it's their head, then they can turn around and go, whoa. Gotcha. Wow. How cool is that? It is. Now, because they look different, certain people around the world want to have those as pets overseas. And so what they might do is they might smuggle these animals in their suitcase. So what I'm doing with my team, so this is a big team, we're essentially scanning these animals using 3D x-rays. We're teaching computers to learn the shape of what a lizard looks like and what a bird looks like and fish and then creating algorithms. So we're creating computer algorithms 
So then we can use artificial intelligence to scan a bag at an airport and if someone has a lizard in their luggage, the computer will be able to go, alert, alert, there's something, Michael, there's something in there, you should check this out. And then someone, a human comes to look at it and then also a sniffer dog might come and sniff it. So you see all these things? So we're helping whales by creating tools to access them that's safer for both whales and humans. And in the wild, on land, we're having technology to protect our front lines to try and stop illegal wildlife trafficking. Thank God. So I can't help all the animals in the world, but what I can do is continue to do my research both in land and on the water so we can help protect these animals that we are very passionate about. Well, one thing leads to another. Mm Mm-hmm. All I can say is just keep up the amazing work you're already doing. Thank you so much. It's it's an honour, honestly. Especially, you'll have to come whale watching with me. I would be honoured. The invitation is right here, right now. We need to go see whales together. I would be deeply honoured. So you could you could you hear their breath? That <sighs> you see the tail, you see them moving through the environment. It's already there, and I can be your personal commentator, your naturalist rather, so I can tell you exactly what they're doing. Wonderful. (laughs) That would be amazing. One of my next questions is, what do you find most fascinating about whales and how many species of whale are there? Whales are part of a family known as cetaceans. So they're whales, dolphins and porpoises. So there are a lot. So there's there's a number of them. What was the first part of your question, sorry? What do you find most fascinating Uh, about whales? I would say that I find most fascinating is their... For particular whales, their ability to navigate in the ocean. So there are some whales that use echolocation, like biological sonar, and there are some whales like the humpback whale which don't use that, but they use low-frequency sounds. So that's like you and me having a conversation from the studios right here, where we are right now in Sydney, with someone over at North Head, so that would be a few kilometres away from us. But we could have that conversation if the conditions in the ocean were right. And the ability for a whale to be able to know where they are, go from Antarctica. So I've travelled to Antarctica via ship from Hobart to the ice. And the Southern Ocean is very, very big. It's massive. It can be really the waves, the swell, the waves were as higher than this room. My goodness, one stage they were 16 metres high. And I've seen humpback whales just side by side being picked up in these big waves. And then all of a sudden they're able to know where the ice is. And then those whales come past us right here, right now, behind us, past Sydney. They're able to go across the Southern Ocean and then come to Australian waters and go all the way to Queensland. And then they know to come back again and do that. Yeah. Like how crazy is that? Even Migaloo, the white humpback whale, we know that thanks to research on him, which we continue to conduct research on, working out where he is, he's a famous white whale, we know that he's gone one year, for example, swum to New Zealand and then came from New Zealand across the Dutch to Australia 35 days later and he was seen in the Gold Coast. Humpback whales probably do this a lot, but because we knew it was him, he was very easily sighted because he's all white. How do they know? How do they know where they're going? Some people, some research suggests it's magnetic cues. It's so big and an amazing thing. So when we see whales for that glimpse or that moment, it's a really special thing to have them right there in front of you. Yeah. 
So uh, this is why we have to go whale watching, right? <laughs> yeah. So have you been whale watching off Sydney? I haven't. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. We've got to go off Sydney. There's a lot of stuff that I haven't done in life. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but you're so young. The same for me. With the, but it's also because my parents are, are, are homebodies and because <laughs> I, a lot of my friends are now, are now parents. That's fine. Look, it won't stop you. I'm a parent. I've got two boys. And I go, I go whale watching. I try and do as much as I can. And it's not going to stop you. You're going to come out while watching. And honestly, now that the world has opened up a bit more and the opportunities that you have yep. to network with people, this is your chance to do exciting things. Oh, yeah. Maybe, you know what? What? Maybe we could put our brains together and we should create, because we need to do this in Australia, we need to create more educational content for young children. Maybe we could start a wildlife series where you could host it and I can do the scientific research for you and we travel around the world. What, what if we became co-hosts? Oh, well, yeah, there we go. Well, because I'm, I can't take all the glory. Yes, you can. My goodness. I, but I would happily be your wildlife scientist, your personal wildlife scientist. Yes, but I think it would be better if, <laughs> if you were my co-host as well. Well, that would be fun. We, we could go and explore certain animals around the world. So we could talk about conservation issues of certain animals that you have. Yep. What are their threats? We could try and see, learn more about them, and then we could educate viewers to say we're here in um, Cambodia or something, or we're here in San Ignacio Bay, looking at the grey whales, for example. What are their threats? Right near us, we have the vaquita porpoise, which is the most endangered porpoise in the world. They think there's less than ten of those in the world. That'd be like the passion project that I've long sought. You could go to Antarctica or the Arctic. And this is all being the name of education. So just yeah. watch this space. Yeah, I, I understand completely. <laughs> I'm just a bit excited. I know, but it does seem like an idea that has potential. Yeah, there you go. Maybe we'll solve all the problems for wildlife in this podcast, hey? Going on. That's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> That's right. Um, <clears throat> recently, we saw a whale die on the beach having mm. beached itself. Why can't we figure out why they do this? Oh, my goodness me. If I... if. On Earth, if my time on Earth was to solve why whales beach, then I would say that I've left an amazing legacy. We don't know why they do that. It's a complete mystery. But I will say, the moment I heard about that humpback whale that had stranded, generally when they strand, they're not in a very good condition. And they generally, for a humpback whale, it it means bad news. It means it probably will die. Yikes. There are some cases where an animal can be refloated. And that's good. Sometimes whales get too close and miss navigation and they become stranded. We see that with pilot whales, for example, and it's really sad. Look, when this does happen, vets and people who are trained work around the animal to make sure that there's no more stress that comes of it. Can you imagine if you're a whale and you're swimming in the ocean and then you strand and you're not very well and then you're on a beach and all these people come to you and you've never seen a person before? You know how much how stressful that would be? Yep. You're on a beach, you're feeling the weight of your body, so many things go through your mind, I would say. Yeah. So if the animal does pass, which in this case it did, this is an opportunity for science to learn more about them. Yeah. So in something bad, something good comes because we're able to learn more about their biology and look inside their stomach. It's an incredible thing. For example, when we do a whale necropsy, which is when you an autopsy but for animals, one of the animals I was able to look at had a baby inside of its stomach. So it was a pregnant... Um, I think believe it was a pygmy sperm whale. So it was very little. And then it, I thought it was bloated because when they die, they bloat. But when we looked inside, it had a baby. So we would do further investigations as to why this happened. Yeah. 
And this is all part of nature. Mm-hmm. So we don't know why they strand, but in most cases or most likely it's a result of illness, especially for humpback whales. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, we try to do our very best and try to help them, but sometimes there's nothing we can do. Yeah. So basically it's just a mystery. It is very moment. much a mystery. Why do they do it? And if we could stop it or if we knew it was going to happen, people would try and do as much as they can to, to help out. I wish I could. Yeah, exactly. Me too. People watch on and see an animal that's helpless on land and yeah. they really want to help them. Of course. I don't blame them. And one of the reasons why whales often will pass on land is because, well, office, they've come there because they're not very well, but they will overheat. So they're really good at warming their bodies in the ocean. So, you know, when we go in the in the water, we have to put a wetsuit on to keep warm. Oh, yes. These animals have their inbuilt wetsuit and they, if they come on land and they're exposed to the sun and it gets too hot and they don't have water on them, they can overheat. Oh, yes. So there's a whale fact for you. I've learned a lot from you today. Good. I've learned a lot from you. But I've got more to learn from you. Same. Likewise. I suppose. Yeah, we can always chat any animals at any time. Yeah. My last question is, why is it important that more girls get into the fields of maths, engineering, and science? And what are some things we can do to encourage girls to pursue science? Ooh, perfect question. I would say we need young girls to be connected to women doing this type of thing. Because when I was growing up, there wasn't really anyone doing what I'm doing now. That's why I said to you at the start, I never knew I'd become a PhD or have a, become a doctor mm. because I never saw that. So I would say making sure that young minds are, have accessibility to scientists like myself and see other women doing amazing things, that's key. But having education components. So, you know, we're joking about we should ho- co-host uh, educational documentary. That kind yeah. of content is very valuable, but there's not much funding put into it. So if, if we have visibility, we have students connecting with scientists, scientists like mes- myself going into schools, which I continue to do, and connect with young minds, that's such a great start. And having STEM and STEAM in schools as, as subjects is really important and it ha- it's happening. So yeah, that's a good thing. We should get excited. And if you were a listener right now listening to us and you have a niece – and, and you have maybe children or you don't or you have friends that have children, talk to them about science. Share this podcast maybe and tell them yeah. that there's all these options that one can do when they get older. And a lot of the young kids listening will have go into wildlife science roles that don't even exist just yet. Of course. So the jobs that I'm doing now might not exist in the future because there'll be more questions we need to ask and, and we can help teach that next generation. Of course. And you are doing a service as well because you're hosting someone like myself, which I would, I'm a scientist. We don't often do this every day. We don't do podcasts every day. No. So you are playing a role for us as scientists and to help that next generation. Well, scientists always have an interesting story to tell. So what's wrong with the idea? There you go. So that's why when you asked me, I was, yep, I'll come in and here we are today. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. And because I actually find... The idea of women in science, what's the word? Incredibly. Engaging? Yes. Yes. Interesting? Yes. Yes, because you can learn lots. If there's a subject we both like, which is wildlife and animals, then we can learn together. And that's what's really powerful. Yes. And women's minds are very sharp. Something I find most intriguing. There you go. See, it's all about asking questions. Well, I've reached the end of my questions. Now we can move on to our 
Ask Mr. A Plus segment, where you can ask me any science you want. It's most interesting to be questioned by a woman of science anyway. Ooh, so I'm going to ask you a question. Yes, anything you want. Oh, okay. So if you could be any animal in the world, what animal would you be? That's a bit of a tough one. <laughs> if I had a choice, I would choose a tiger perhaps. Ooh. Or a gorilla. Uh-huh. Or a lion or perhaps a platypus. Yeah, well, if you you know the males during breeding season, you know what happens to them? What? They have these venomous spurs. spurs. That's correct. Yeah, so that's yes. pretty cool. But So you've picked animals that are all very powerful animals. Yeah. But if you were to have to pick out of those four that you listed, what would you? What would be your number one? It's, t- it's too hard to decide. It is too hard. But I also do have a strong affinity for bears as well. They're so cool. I've seen black bears in, in Canada. They come down out of the woods and they eat some of the marine life on the rocks. Yeah, very cool. Black bears. Amazing. They're omnivores. Which yes, means they, they eat are. everything. Yep. In fact, I've been compared to a bear myself. Oh, well, bears are lovable, so there you go. Yes. Did you, when you grew up, Mr. Humphrey B. Bear, remember him? Yes, yeah. I remember. <laughs> this is very Australian right now for I your is- international listeners. Okay, so can I ask another question then? Yes, ask as many as you want. Okay, um, what would be your ultimate career job? Would it be something with wildlife? If you were to do anything in the world and get paid a lot of money, what would it be? Well, actually, I'm already pursuing an acting career. Beautiful. But if I wasn't passionate about pursuing acting as a career, I would have gladly pursued something with animals or railways. Ooh. So do you like train spotting? Yes. Well, I'm going to let you into a big secret. What? I love plane spotting. Oh. I am a big aviation geek. I love planes. They're so cool. Maybe because they're like whales, the way they look. But I just, you know, over Sydney you have planes. I can tell you which aircraft it is. And if we go whale watching on land as well, often when you watch whales and there's no whales, you can plane spot. So all these cool things. Would you ever be a railway conductor on a train? I had some thoughts about about in high school, but apparently that work is too competitive to get into. Well, that's okay. Look what you're doing now. This is very competitive to get into. Okay, so can I ask one another question? If you were to inspire the next generation of scientists, wildlife scientists, what would you what advice would you give to them? As someone who loves animals. That's a bit of a tough one because I'm not even a scientist myself. But you love animals. Yes. And you totally can 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 provide some advice. Or what would you maybe I'll reword it. If you were to have an opportunity to learn more about an animal or um, somewhere around the world and you'd like to do some research and you'd go with a scientist, what what kind of place or what animals would you like to learn more about? All kinds. But if you were to pick one, would it be on land or in the ocean? Probably land. Okay, yep. And would it be in Australia or internationally? Probably internationally. Ooh, I'm thinking maybe you might want to visit somewhere that I've been, which I would, oh my God, it's the best place on earth. Where? The Galapagos Islands. Oh. Oh my goodness. This is the birthplace of evolution. Charles Darwin, he was very famous biologist, but Galapagos Islands is so cool. It sits on the equator in South America, part of Ecuador. And there's birds around, there's marine iguanas, blue whales, killer whales, sunfish. You know what a sunfish is, right? 
That's okay. They're the coolest fish in the ocean. They, they're like this big round disc and they have a flipper here and a flipper here and they flip and flap like that. I'll have to, we'll have to show your listeners what these look like. <laughs> and there's turtles. The Galapagos Islands is so cool. I just think you'd yeah. love it. And then you could go over to Bolivia and look at the monkeys in the rainforest, the Amazon rainforest. I actually have an, an affin- have an affinity for primates. There you go. So maybe you, if you, if you were to work with scientists, you could go do some primate research. Mm. That, that would be very cool. And learn more yes. about the primates that need conserving, why yeah. are their numbers not doing so well for certain species, and, and yeah. maybe learning with other scientists as to research projects that are currently going on. Oh, so yeah. much for you to do. Oh, if I had the chance to, to do it. If I could ask you another question. Yes. What's your favourite type of meal other than cheese? <laughs> um, there's, all, there's different kinds of meats and seafood. Yes. I also love all kinds of fruit. Ooh, what's your favourite fruit? Green apples is one of them. There you go. I have one like almost every day. Very good for you. Yeah. And do you like chocolate? Yes, especially Yowie chocolate. Of course. <laughs> okay, what's your favourite colour? Blue and green. Ooh. Favourite number? Well, I consider three to be my lucky number. There you go. It's because I was born at 3.03 in the morning, um, the third minute past the third hour of the third Sunday of the third week of the third month in 94. See, I'm just a few years older than you. You're very good with numbers. Thanks. Would you say that maths was your favourite at school? It wasn't. Oh, well, it wasn't for me either. Well, when I was um, getting into my senior years at high school, I had the the chance to not choose maths as a subject, but I chose general maths because my father said that maths is in every job. He's kind of right. Yeah. You know, when I was doing my master's research, looking at trying to make sure that whales did not entangle in fishing gear. Yes. One of the things I had to use was a surveyor's tool, which is this thing that stands on a tripod and it is able to calculate where the whales are in the ocean to where I am. And it used Pythagoras theorem, which uses high school maths. I don't even know what that is anymore. I, I would never have thought that high school maths would be important in the everyday. And it turns out it is. Yeah. But that's okay. And that's the thing. If you're not good at maths but you like science, you can still do science. That's what I'm here to tell people. Well, in high school, my strongest subject was woodwork because, you see, I tend to do better when I'm using my hands. Yes, yes. For the work. Well, remember STEAM, like you said at the start of this episode, has the arts component. Yes. So a lot of the design of what we do, whether it be designing whale tags or whale drones, it all has an artistic component to it. Mm. So never, never think that your skill set is not usable. It's transferable. And if you collaborate with the right people, you can have amazing things. If you were to go to the Arctic or Antarctica, which one would you like to go to? Probably the Arctic. So the Arctic has polar bears. It has bowhead whales. And walruses. And walruses, that's right. And harp seals. Oh, my goodness, you're so clever, yes. And narwhals. Yes, my favourite, one of my favourites. Did you know the narwhals have a extended tooth? Oh, yes. That's their tusk. I, I knew that. And did you know there's no penguins in the Arctic? Yes, I knew that. Good, good. They're in, they're in the Antarctic Circle. Yes. And did you know the most northern penguin in the world is found on the Galapagos? Oh, and so what's that go. one? That's the Galapagos penguin. Ah, yes. Yes. And in the Arctic, there's the Northern Lights. And then in Antarctic, there's the Southern Lights. Ooh. And I don't know if you've ever seen them before. Have I you? haven't. 
it's the most amazing thing to see. I've seen the aurora, the the, the aurora um, australis, which is the Australian or the Southern Hemisphere one, and that is spectacular. It would be. Any other questions? Favourite Disney movie? There's quite a few of them. Favourite childhood Disney movie? The Lion King, perhaps? I love The Lion King. Although I admit that I can do Scar pretty well. Oh, go on. Life's not fair, is it? <laughs> you see, I, well, I shall never be king. And you shall never see the light of another day. Adieu. Oh, my God, I love it. And also, your listeners do not know that we were talking about Faulty Towers before, and you did the best impression. Yes. Did you want to do that again? Sure. Manuel, <laughs> there is too much butter on those trays. Okay. There is too much butter on those trays. No, 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 senor. Not on those trays. No, no, sir. Uno, dos, tres. Okay? No, no, no. Mucho burro ali. Okay? Mucho burro ali. Oh, Montequilla. <laughs> well done. I love it because we were talking about British humour. And the dry yeah. humour and faulty towers just had to come yeah. up. So instantly yeah. our connection over faulty towers and yowies was just a perfect mix. Yeah. So well done to you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Well, it's just been wonderful chatting with you. It has been an absolute delight. I could just talk to you all day. Same, absolutely. And because I would love to learn more from you. Same. Well, we can, we can always chat anytime you like and we can share this knowledge with others as well. Yes, of course. Well, Doctor, thank you so much for coming on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. It has been a blast. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope that you and your listeners learnt a lot. I certainly did. Good, good. Ho- hopefully my, li- my listeners will too. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Thank you.